Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Tears of Despair, Dreams of Laughter. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, December the 11th, 2011, the third Sunday in Advent. About a month ago, I had a dream that made me laugh out loud in my sleep. I can't remember what part of the dream made me laugh, nor can I remember that ever happening before. I just remember laying in bed and thinking how wonderfully strange it felt. You have hundreds of anxiety dreams that are rooted in fear, fears that are both real and imagined. And then one night, you bust out laughing in the middle of the night. It felt good. I felt like the poet in Psalm 126 this week. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. The psalmist isn't naive. He doesn't ignore the brutal realities of our human condition. His poem is based in national disaster and lost fortunes. It laments people who have been deported to captivity. We sow in tears, he says, and go out weeping. But nevertheless, we dream of laughter and joy. In Isaiah for this week, he similarly speaks of ruined cities and national grief but prophesies about a time when gladness and beauty will overtake disgrace and despair. And in this week's gospel, John acknowledges the darkness of the world, but celebrates the light that darkness cannot overcome. The psalmist in my dream remind me of a better way to live than the way of chronic anxiety. It isn't true that joy is unjustified in an unjust world. Nothing is too wonderful to be true, the novelist Ron Hansen observed. There are more things that are true than human suffering, namely that God speaks and acts. The Jesuit priest and peace activist Daniel Berrigan reminds us in his Advent Credo that there are greater things that are true than injustice and futility. Listen to Berrigan's poem, Advent Credo. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they may have life, and that abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word, and that war and destruction rule forever. This is true. Unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world. This is true. To me is given authority in heaven and on earth, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the world. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church before we can be peacemakers. This is true. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall have dreams. It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. This is true. The hour comes, and it is now that the true worshipers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. Like the psalmist in Isaiah, Berrigan knows what it means to sow in tears and to go out weeping. A friend of mine once asked him how many times he had been jailed for the gospel, to which he replied, Not enough. That's true enough, but it's not all that's true. Beyond the brutal realism of tears and weepings are dreams of joy and laughter. In her memoir called Mighty Be Our Powers, 2011, the Nobel laureate Lema Gabawi describes how one night she had her own dream while sleeping on her office floor. I don't know where I don't know where I was, she says. Everything was dark. I couldn't see a face. But I heard a voice and it was talking to me, commanding me, gather the women to pray for peace. At 5 a.m. she woke up shaking, feeling like she had heard the voice of God. Peace was a distant dream for Liberians in those days, after 14 years of savage civil war from 1989 to 2003. By some estimates, 10% of the population had been slaughtered. 25% had fled the country. Starvation, systematic rape, torture, mutilation, and Charles Taylor's cocaine-crazed child soldiers had traumatized the nation. Schools and hospitals closed. Rats and dogs ate the unburied dead who littered the streets. There was no water, electricity, or phone service. Later that morning, Gabauer related her dream to the women at her Lutheran church. Sister Esther Musa, an evangelist, led them in prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending us this vision. Give us your blessing, Lord, and offer us your protection and guidance in helping us to understand what it means. What it meant was the start of the Liberian women's peace movement that eventually ended the Civil War. About 20 Lutheran women began to gather every Tuesday at noon to pray. Sometimes they fasted. They invited other Christian churches. At one meeting, Asutu spoke up. 
I'm the only Muslim here, and we want to join this peace movement. Praise the Lord, shouted the Christian women. And so Muslim and Christian women formed an alliance. They shared their horror stories. Training sessions and workshops followed. They passed out brochures and marched to City Hall. Three days a week, for six months, they visited the mosques, the markets, and the churches of Monrovia. Liberian women, awake for peace, they challenged. In the end, the women forced Charles Taylor to peace talks in Ghana. And then in Ghana, they barricaded the do-nothing men in their plenary hall until they signed peace accords. After the 2000 Accords, they were instrumental in disarming the country, registering voters, and electing Ellen Johnson Sirleaf as the first woman head of state in Africa. Who were these women? I will say, says Gaboe, they are ordinary mothers, grandmothers, aunts, sisters. They sowed bitter tears. They went out weeping, and then they acted on their dreams of peace, joy, and laughter for their beloved country. For books this week, I review Roger Rosenblatt. The title is called, Unless It Moves the Heart, the Craft and Art of Writing. New York, HarperCollins, 2011, 155 pages. What is it about writing that has packed writing classes around the country? Perhaps meaning-making through storytelling is what separates man from beast, suggests Roger Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt has taught writing courses for over 40 years since his days at Harvard, when he was in his 20s. His dozen books have earned him numerous prizes and national recognition. This book is part memoir and part writing manual, as Rosenblatt recounts a one-semester writing class that he taught at Stony Brook University's Southampton campus on Long Island in 2008. It was called Writing Everything. His 12 students didn't write everything, of course, although they discussed almost everything. The class required them to write a short story, an essay, and some poetry. As we meet the individual students and read some of their work, Rosenblatt teases out what makes for good writing. There's what he calls throat clearing, which is about getting started and not overwriting or trying to sound learned, clever, or beautiful. There are writing rituals, like taking a walk, and writing exercises, like singing Happy Birthday to You, and then pinging off the memories that song evokes. Discovering your own voice and exploring the relationship between reading and writing round out this slender volume. The author A.D. Hope once wrote, Nothing you write will matter unless it moves the human heart and thus the title of the book. I was glad that I read this book, but it reminded me of others that I thought were even more helpful on the same subject. There's the classic Elements of Style by Strunk and White. 
I've also enjoyed The Writing Life by Annie Dillard, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg, and then a collection of essays called Shouts and Whispers, 21 Writers Speak About Their Writing and Their Faith. The title of this book, Unless It Moves the Heart, The Craft and Art of Writing, by Roger Rosenblatt. For movies this week, I review Prince of Broadway, 2008. Lucky is an illegal immigrant from Ghana who hustles fake designer goods in the wholesale fashion district of Manhattan. Everything you need, I got it all. Gucci, Prada, Coach, everything. His boss, Levon, is an Armenian Lebanese who married for a green card and whose store conceals a back room where the counterfeit goods are sold illegally. One day, Lucky's former girlfriend, a Latina named Linda, thrusts a toddler into his arms and declares, That's your son. Be a man. Take care of your son. And with that, Linda then walks away. Is the toddler really his son? He can't go to the police because his quote-unquote papers are not good. Linda rebuffs his phone calls. Eventually, Lucky gets a DNA test to determine if the child is really his. And when he gets the test back, he acts on those results. A note at the end of the film explains that the profanity-laced urban street slang, quote, was realized through improvisation in a collaborative process with all actors, end quote. Director Sean Baker does a good job of recreating the gritty reality of how urban immigrants from all over the world live in our American cities. The title, once again, Prince of Broadway. And for poetry this week, the third Sunday in Advent, we posted a poem by Brad Reynolds called Gaudete. Gaudete is the Latin word for rejoice and is the third Sunday in Advent in the Catholic Church. Gaudete. Because Christmas is almost here, because dancing fits so well with music, because inside baby clothes are miracles, Gaudete. Because some people love you, because of chocolate, because pain does not last forever, because Santa Claus is coming, Gaudete. Because of laughter, because there really are angels, because your fingers fit your hands, because forgiveness is yours for the asking, because of children, because of parents, Gaudete. Because the blind see and the lame walk, Gaudete. Because lepers are clean and the deaf hear, Gaudete. Because the dead will live again and there is good news for the poor, Gaudete. Because of Christmas, because of Jesus, you rejoice.
The author is Brad Reynolds. The title of the poem, Gaudete, the Latin word for rejoice. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, December 11th, 2011, the third Sunday in Advent. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.